Well, my challenge today will be not going too long with my homily because St. Anthony, whose feast we celebrate today, is my, is my patron saint. And uh, I am, it's, a, it's a great joy for me to be able to celebrate Mass and to speak about him. Um, I could go on and on. I've given, you know, in years past, I've given long talks, hour and a half, two hour talks on, on this, uh, this guy and have done, he's, he's showed up in a certain classes that I've taught as a very important figure. Uh, in the history of uh, the of monasticism, okay, so he's kind of he's considered the father of of monasticism, and uh, uh, for me personally, he's shown up in my life in many various fashions and important ways, really, and I, I owe my uh, my salvation and my uh, adherence to the to the faith, I believe, to his intercession. So I have a great devotion to uh, St. Anthony. It's a great joy for me to be able to speak about him. Uh, in our collect, our opening prayer, we talk about, we say, you know, this wondrous life that he lived. And indeed, uh, what a wondrous life it is. He was born, he's kind of the, um, he's almost the uh, negative image of the rich young ruler who comes to Christ in the gospel and says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord says to him, well, observe the commandments. He says, I've done that. He says, okay, well, if you want to be perfect, sell everything you have and come follow me, uh, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then the young man becomes sad, and he goes away. So St. Anthony is like, he's like that guy, but he does the exact opposite. Okay, uh, He came from a wealthy family in Egypt uh, in the 3rd century, so he's a very ancient saint. He goes almost back to the apostles. Okay. Uh, and um, his parents died when he was about 18 or so. So he was very young, but he inherited a huge dynasty. Um, they were wealthy landowners uh, and farmers, but I mean farmers in the sense that they were more like plantation owners. That was that kind of a, a thing. Uh, had many servants, lots of uh, acreage of land, and uh, that, that property had been in the family for a long time. So he was the heir of all of that, and he had only one sister. So he's walking to church one day and he's meditating on the lives of the apostles, how the apostles responded to Christ's call by leaving everything behind. And lo and behold, he walks into church and he hears that text from the gospel uh, of the story of the rich young ruler. And he doesn't hear the part about the young man going away sad. He hears Christ's words, if you would be perfect, come sell everything you have and come follow me. And uh, he, he is inspired. He believes that these words are spoken directly to him by the Holy Spirit right there, right now. And so that's exactly what he does. He goes out and he sells everything. And uh, he leaves a little bit of money aside to take care of his sister. But then he goes to church a second time and, and, and here's a passage from the scripture that says, do not give a thought for the, for the morrow, but you know, just worry about here and the now. And so then he goes, oh, okay, all right. So then he gives that away. And he offers, actually, he, he gives his little sister into a convent uh, of, of nuns, and so they, they take care of her. And he goes off and he lives the contemplative life, a very, very radical contemplative life. He begins first to kind of train with a, a sort of this ascetic who was living in the fringes of the village that he was in in Egypt. Uh, and uh, after a few years of doing that, he goes out even further away from civilization and he goes to a tomb. And he actually lives in a tomb. Uh, and he has someone bring him food every certain amount of time, and he li he eats almost nothing. He eats a single loaf of bread a day. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of people have a hard time believing that, that that's actually the case, but actually, first of all, the peasants in Egypt at that time lived on very little. Okay, We, we 
uh, as the modern Westerners, we eat probably four to five times as much food as people, a lot of people in the ancient world ate. Okay? Uh, now, probably their nutrition was not that great, uh, but in fact, they did live and they survived. And uh, then the ascetics and the desert uh, hermits that would go out into the desert, they lived on even less. So they would, they would eat basically like a pound of bread a day. That's what they lived on for their whole life. And Anthony lived to 105 years old. So he lived to a very, very great age. Um, so uh, obviously it wasn't, uh, he was probably undernourished in one sense, but in another sense it didn't kill him. So he lived a long, a long time. So anyways, he's living in this tomb and uh, God in his providence sometimes allows in the lives of the saints, he allows demons to physically attack the saints. Okay, so in Padre Pio, you listen, hear lots of stories about Padre Pio being dragged across the floor and be, <laughs> being thrown around by, by demonic powers. And so that's what happens to Anthony. He has this big showdown with, with these demons. It's very, very dramatic. Uh, his, his life story is retold as part of his life. And he's victorious in that struggle. He, he does, he's not cowed. He's not, uh, doesn't fall into despair or fear or anything like that, but his faith is, remains strong. And then he kind of moves on to another phase and he moves out into the desert. And he lives out in the desert and he goes and he finds this abandoned fortress, a Roman fortress. Uh, it's abandoned. It's in the middle of absolutely nowhere in the desert. And he lives there for 20 years straight doing nothing but praying. And he has a guy come every six months uh, with these loaves of bread that are stale, but they, they survive for six months at a, at a pop. And the friend lowers them down through the roof of the fortress, and he's there for 20 years. And his name kind of gets out, like there's this guy, he's, this dude, he's really living this radical Christian life out in the life of contemplation on this fortress. So after about 20 years, these like hundreds of guys go out to him, and they pull down the door of the fortress, and they say, teach us your way of life. And he comes out, and he becomes basically the father of early monasticism. And, and the movement in the 4th century, of the monastic movement in the 4th century was absolutely remarkable. Uh, literally tens of thousands of, of men, and not, not nearly that many women, but a few women as well, uh, went out into the desert regions, and they lived as hermits in the deserts. And there was all these various forms of monastic life and the eremitical life that they adopted and developed. And it was a very fascinating time period. Um, and so with Anthony and two or three other big names, they really were the founders of this uh, wonderful way of life. Uh, much more I could say, a remarkable saint um, uh, whom I love dearly, and I think his, his prayers, I believe his prayers have been very uh, instrumental in my, own, in my own spiritual journey. Just read you a few passages from his life, okay? Um, in our first reading here from the Epistle to the Hebrews, we've got this great image of an anchor. So if you think of an anchor, an anchor, you know, you're in a ship and a boat or whatever, and the anchor goes down and it touches something solid and immovable because you're in this element that's all mutable. It's all moving around and it's water, right? Okay. So you got to, the, the anchor goes down and it touches the ground floor of the lake or whatever you're in, so it stabilizes you. It's, it's immovable. Okay, so you got that anchor that's connecting you to something immovable. And the author of Hebrews here likens our journey and the virtue of hope oops, to that anchor. That's a great image. So the anchor goes forward to our final end, our destiny with God in heaven. And so in this world, we're in this kind of uh, element that's very mutable and it's all wishy-washy and flopping around and schlopping around. 
But hope brings us to that final end of God that's immutable. And then with that, we can be stabilized and we then journey towards that end without um, deviating from our, our life's course and our destiny, our ultimate destiny. Uh, so Anthony, in his life, recounts certain principles and secrets that really kind of help us to, uh, to grasp this. So just to read a few passages here. Um, here he is doing nothing but praying all day long. He also, he would make baskets. That's what he would do for his, his livelihood. He would, he would take reeds out of the Nile River and weave baskets with these reeds and then, and then people would come and pick up the baskets and bring them to the market. And that's essentially how he kind of made his, you know, he would trade his baskets for bread, basically. That's how he lived. But for the most part, he prayed all day long. Um, he further held to the following truly remarkable conviction. He, he thought that he should appraise his progress in virtue and his consequent withdrawal from the world, not by any length of time spent in them, but by his attachment and devotion to them. Accordingly, he gave no thought to the passage of time, but day by day, as though he were just beginning the ascetic life, he made greater effort toward perfection. He kept repeating to himself the words of Paul, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out to the things that are before Remembering, too, the voice of Elias the prophet, saying, The Lord liveth, in whose sight I stand this day. He observed that when he said this day, he was not counting the time that was past, but as though constantly beginning anew, he worked hard each day to make of himself such as one who should appear before God, pure of heart and ready to follow his will, and none other. So there's a lot more that I could get into, but you have this idea of, He's living completely in the present. Okay, how often? What, isn't it a wonderful thing that we can be free from our past? Okay, and when our when that anchor of hope is truly secure in our final end, and that's where our vision is fixed, we can really be free from the past, uh, the grudges that we might have, the hurts that people have inflicted upon us, and all of this kind of garbage. We can be truly free from that. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You know, so if we're chained to that immutable final goal, who is God, we can be free from the things that drag us down. And we can be free from the future. How often do we have these, oh no, what's going to happen? Oh, we've got all of these false predictions that we predict. Bad things are going to happen to us and these fears and all this kind of stuff. It's all nonsense. And we're being enslaved by it and enchained by it. And we're not able to live in the present where God is. So it's that, it's that beautiful thing where uh, God, uh, to whom we're, we're anchored, who's in the future in a certain sense, liberates us actually from the future, from the future in the bad sense, and those false fear, fears and that these kinds of false predictions that we make. And, uh, you know, we have, it's commonly said, parishioners commonly say, I've been a parishioner here for 35 years, and they get all this sense of entitlement and all this kind of stuff. It's nonsense. We got to live in the here and the now, and we got to begin our Christian life new every single day, because we don't know if we're going to live to the end of the day. And so we got to live in the here and the now and be free from the past and from the false future, and uh, and that way we can we can be with God and make real progress and grow in holiness. That's the secret to the to freedom and to growth in the Christian life is is living in the here and now. And we have Saint Anthony as a great example of that. Uh, whose feast we celebrate today with with great joy. Um, So thanks for letting me talk.